Welcome to Watchmen on the Wall, a daily outreach of Southwest Radio Ministries and SWRC.com. Today, author of the brand new book, Letter to the American Church, Eric Metaxas returns, ready to refute the pernicious lie that fighting evil politicizes Christianity. Friends, have you received our brand new monthly catalog, Timely Tools? Timely Tools highlights the latest resources from your friends at Watchmen on the Wall and SWRC. Each month, this beautiful catalog is delivered to you full of the latest books, DVDs, and other timely resources designed to inform you and encourage your faith. Timely Tools is a free way to stay up to date on all the latest DVDs and books by your favorite speakers and teachers. Get your copy of Timely Tools by calling 1-800-652-1144. That's 1-800-652-1144. Best-selling author Eric Metaxas believes it is our duty as a church to fight the powers of darkness. He believes silence is not an option. Eric Metaxas is here to lay out his case with staff evangelist Josh Davis. We are privileged to be joined again by best-selling author and nationally syndicated radio host Eric McTaxis. His book, Letter to the American Church, places a log on the embers of a dying fire among the American church. If we fail in our moment, it will be to the detriment of the entire world. And We like to think that we would have stood against slavery if we were a Southern American Christian in the mid-1800s. We like to think that we would have stood against Hitler and the Nazi party if we were a German Christian in the 1930s. But do we speak out against the atrocious evils of our day like abortion, the devastations that are caused by things like transgender ideology, critical race theory, and the like? While these issues have political ramifications, they are rooted in deep spiritual and biblical need. Eric, we welcome you back to Watchmen on the Wall. Well, it's my privilege to be back. Thanks for having me. Let's go into some of the theology that you unpack in your book. And what is it that tempts the American church to remain silent against the evils of our day? My book, Letter to the American Church, I'm trying to bring what Bonhoeffer was saying to the German church, to the American church of our day, because the parallels could not be more shocking, frankly. And it's the same misunderstanding of Scripture that they were buying in the 30s in Germany, that the pastors and the Christian leaders, they were buying this understanding of the Scripture that was just flat-out wrong, it was not biblical. What it's centered around is the idea that it's all about grace, it's all about faith, and we can all say, yes, that's true, but what does that mean? I mean, it's called Letter to the American Church, but I was going to title it faith without works is dead. Because I think if you could say the one heresy that's right in the middle of the American church is this idea that because we're saved by faith, I don't need to do anything. And of course, that's nonsense, because the Scripture says faith without works is dead. So once you're saved, you're supposed to live out your faith in works. And the Scripture, when it says faith without works is dead, it's saying that If there is no works, if you are not living out your faith in every sphere of your life, if it's just in your head, locked in your head, you say, it's just faith, it's just what I believe, you're misunderstanding what faith is. Faith is alive, faith is active. Bonhoeffer talked about that, faith in action. 
And so a lot of people have bought that idea that I just need to believe these things theologically, and I'm good, and that's it. And you realize, no, that's not it. If you don't live out your faith, it proves you have no faith. Usually when I'm preaching on this, I use the illustration. Imagine if a high-wire artist strings a a high-wire across Niagara Falls and says, I'm going to walk across these dangerous falls, and he walks back and forth, and people applaud and whatever, and then he he says, I'm going to push this wheelbarrow across, and he pushes the wheelbarrow. You know, there was somebody, I think, who did that in the 1890s. People have Mm -hmm. done these kinds of things. And then he says to the crowd, do you believe that I could put a 200-pound weight in here and push it across? And people think, yes, yes. They, you know, they all believe. They raise their hand. Yes, we believe you can do it again. And he says to one gentleman who weighs about 200 pounds, sir, step in the wheelbarrow. And that's when you know, does that guy who said, yeah, I believe you can do it, does he really believe it? And I think that's how God looks at our faith. He says, you know, it's easy to say, oh, I believe. Go to my church's website, and you can read what it says. And I believe that. I believe what the Bible says. That. Well, The devil isn't afraid of statements like that. He's afraid of us living out our faith. When you live out your faith, the devil knows you really believe it. God knows you believe it. Your enemies and your friends, they can see what you believe by how you live. And we've bought into this tremendously harmful idea that what I believe is just some kind of intellectual thing. I just believe this is my theology. And if you don't live out your theology— it really is useless. You have to live it out. And I think that the Germans were really guilty of this because, of course, they had Luther, the great forefather of the, the Lutheran faith. He was the man who, who talked about faith alone. And they got this idea in their head that I don't need to, to do anything. I just need to believe, and I'm saved, and that's the end of it. And Bonhoeffer could see that this was pernicious, that this was destructive, and it was causing them to sit and not to act, not to stand against the the Nazis, not to fight. They had this passive attitude they believed was biblical, and he was trying to get them to understand this is not biblical. That faith is no real faith. When you talk about grace, that's not real grace, that's cheap grace. He wrote a book called The Cost of Discipleship, and in it he talks about this idea of cheap grace. He says, if you don't understand what Jesus had to go through so that you could be under his grace, if you don't understand that, then it's cheap grace. You're taking for granted what God did. You're not really believing, truly believing. And I think that a a lot of us have bought that idea because we're so blessed and spoiled in the American Church, we haven't really had to live out our faith in a way that has cost us very much. You know, especially if you're in the South or in some part of the country where everybody says you're a Christian, you kind of think, well, I'm a Christian, what about it? You know, I think... God is calling us, you know, to a muscular faith, to a heroic faith that says, I'm going to stand against the spirit of the age. I'm going to stand against these things that I see happening around me because God has appointed me to do that. And I really feel that the lie that many of the good German Christians, that they bought this lie, we see what happened. And I see that that is happening in America today because many American Christians are believing the same idea. They don't understand that. It's not just people who live in other countries that have to pay a price for their faith. God is calling us to live out a faith here where we pay a price for our faith. And by the way, that's what we're supposed to do. That, that's not extra credit Christianity, and the Lord will bless us as we live out our faith. This is not something like we should say, well, I'm scared. We should be scared to not live out our faith. We should be scared of sitting on our hands when God calls us to do something. And I really think that that's 
it just crept into the church over the decades, and it's finally come to a head now. And I think that if we do not get this in our churches, if we don't understand that we need to stand on all these issues, and if people say, you're being political, you tell them, I'm speaking from what the Scripture says, and you can call it what you want. But people said that against William Wilberforce, who st- stood against the slave trade. They said, oh, you're, you shouldn't mix your faith in politics. You know, now we look back, we say, oh, he's such a hero. He lived out his faith in the world of politics. We say that about a lot of people, but when it comes to us, we kind of say, well, I can skip that. We are as obliged as those heroes from the past were in living out our faith, even when some people are going to call us names and try to cancel us and do what they can, which, you know, they've certainly done that to me and to many people, but we ought to rejoice, you know, if we're paying any kind of price for our faith. Yes, amen. There is a major difference between faith that and faith in, as you aptly described in your analogy going over Niagara Falls, and we need to get to that place. I've got some missionary friends who are in the United Kingdom, and they talked about the decline of the church there, and they estimated that the U.K. may be 20 years ahead of the United States. But the encouraging thing they mentioned to me was that when it came down to a certain level, there was a plateau because you were left with the genuine people who wanted to be there, who wanted to be plugged in, who wanted to go forward, standing with Christ, standing for Christ, and pushing forward, reaching out, and sharing the good news, but also taking their stand as they are able to do. In your book, you discuss the idol of evangelism. What is the idol of evangelism? How has the American church fallen for it? Well, it's when we take a good thing, or even a great thing, and we make an idol of it. And evangelism is a classic example. People, we all know that, you know, if you don't care about evangelism, if you don't have an evangelistic heart, something's wrong. But there's some people that twist it to where they say, I I don't want to say anything that might push someone away, because all I care about is them accepting Christ. And I think, well, if that worked, I'd be all for it. But the fact is that sometimes, you know, if somebody says, I have a view that's different from you, you ought to be able to be honest about what the Church teaches. And I think that people have made such an idol of evangelism in certain cases that they will never say anything that could be construed as either political or divisive. And I think you get yourself tied in knots. God really cannot work with you if you're unwilling to speak the truth. And I think that there are people who have this idea that they can pull that off, that they can be apolitical, and that's the magic, you know. And I think, well, if communities are being destroyed by certain policies or whatever it is, you have to be lovingly willing to talk about those things. And I think that especially from the pulpit, especially in churches, need to be crystal clear about what is right, what is wrong, what the Bible says about everything, including all all the issues we're facing in our culture today, because the people in the pews are hungry for this. But some churches have this attitude that, no, 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 we only do evangelism, we're we're seeker-friendly, we don't ever talk about that stuff. And And I think that that's actually leading people away from the church. I actually find, ironically, that the churches that are talking about this hot-button stuff in the culture, their numbers are exploding because there's a hunger out there among unchurched people. And they're saying, if there's, if there's any place where I can find any sanity, any island of sanity, I want to check that out. 
And so the churches that have been really bold on a lot of these cultural issues, their numbers have dramatically increased, their giving has increased, and the churches that say, well, I'm afraid of losing somebody, I might lose this tither, or I might lose some congregants or whatever, they are struggling to keep their doors open. So it's really ironic that those who are talking about evangelism, they're losing souls, and those that are focusing on whatever God calls them to say, magically they're increasing their numbers and they're drawing pagans into their buildings, and I think that's called evangelism right there. So it really is amazing to me that many, many Christians, and I remember I used to be like this, kind of had this idea that I've I've just got to avoid anything controversial, because the only thing that matters is talking about God or talking about theology, and then that's not right, because everything belongs to God. Every sphere, every part of truth, science, everything is part of God's creation, and we should be free to talk about those things and not be so scared just because it might push somebody away. You know, I've had that experience in my own life where I remember somebody said something before. I was really a believer, and it, yeah, pushed me away a little bit, but I came back. So I just think that we're just over-focused on evangelism to the point where we get all gummed up, we just can't talk about anything else, and that's just not healthy. I agree with you completely, and if we really have a Christian worldview, it's going to change every aspect of our life. As you mentioned, it's going to change how we look at science and how we look at history and how we look at all these different spheres, politics, you name it. And unfortunately, if if you're just focused on this one issue in the church, you're ignoring discipleship. It's so easy to divorce the gospel from discipleship and spiritual growth from discipleship. And and all these things, we try to ferret them out, separate them into separate piles, but it's one cohesive biblical worldview that we all come together in. And you talk about the American church failing to speak the truth in love on these issues. How are we failing to speak the truth in love today? It's really about not speaking at all. We're so worried about not speaking in love that we don't speak at all, you know? And I Mm -hmm. think that, for example, I know people who are gay. I know people who are non-believers who are living outside of God's will. When I meet with them, I'm not going to go right to that issue. I can still love them. But the point is, I need to know what I believe on that issue. I I can't pretend like, well, who's to say? I I don't have a position on that issue. Because if somebody is really earnestly searching, they're struggling, they want truth. I, I actually spoke at a church in Washington State not even a month ago, and there was a Q&A at the end, and a young man raised his hand, and he said, is there any point, if you're gay and even seeking after God, you know, is there, is there even any point in it? And I discerned that he struggles with same-sex attraction, mm-hmm. and he is actually asking me, actually, he wasn't looking for trouble. He's like wondering, what do I do? And I thought, he is an example of thousands and thousands, probably hundreds of thousands of people who are confused. Mm -hmm. They may have attractions that they don't want, and they think, well, I guess that just means I just have no place with God, right? And you want to say to those people, listen, those attractions do not define you. That attraction, married men have attractions to women other than their wives. They know they're not supposed to follow that attraction. That is going to lead them to destruction. It's going to destroy everything they love, so that they they know that whatever you're attracted to, that doesn't define you. Everyone is broken. And so I said to this young man, we are all broken, 
and God wants to walk with you and strengthen you. Some people can change in their attractions, but if we are all honest, we're all broken. I wasn't going to tell him that that attraction was a good thing, but I also didn't want him to understand that, that the Church condemns you. The Church doesn't condemn that person. It condemns that activity. Why? Because that activity will harm that person. It will destroy his life. And I thought to myself, there are a lot of people that would not even be clear on that issue and say that the Bible says sex is between a man and his wife for life, that God created it. It's a beautiful thing, and that's God's plan. We have to be clear as a bell on that issue, because there are some young people out there right now who are thinking, is there even any clear teaching on this? Is there truth on this? Because I'm struggling. I'm trying to struggle. I'm trying to do the right thing. But there are all these voices that are beginning to tell me, don't struggle, give into it. That's who you are. And that's the kind of thing that if you really love people, you're going to speak the truth on it. You're going to tell them this is God's plan. And we all carry a cross. We all struggle with different things. And we're not doing that on a, on a host of issues. I just bring up that one. But I thought to myself, if you can't be clear about that issue, about God's idea of what marriage is, that the idea that we're made male and female in God's image, and that anybody trying to force the idea that, you know, it's complicated, there are more genders, there's such a thing as non-binary, we got to laugh at that stuff and say, listen, folks, everybody's known since the beginning of time there's male and female, this is what the Bible says, and we're not going to allow that into our schools, into our communities, and we have to stand for that stuff. And I think sometimes people think, well, I'm just going to hang out in my little church culture But the fact is, there are people outside of your church culture who are looking to you as a Christian to take a stand, because they've got kids in that school, and they're being told all these different things. Christians are supposed to know what they believe. We encourage you, our listeners, to pick up your copy of the letter to the American Church by Eric Metaxas. I've really enjoyed reading the book. It is so timely, so pertinent for what we need, and it's really a call to arms, a call to action for us to stand up. I encourage you, pick up your copy of this book today. Reach out to our ministry, 1-800-652-1144, or visit swrc.com. Also connect with Eric on his website, ericmetaxas.com. Eric, we have thoroughly enjoyed you being with us these last two days. God bless you in the ministry he's called you to as well. Thank you, Josh. The complete two-day conversation with Eric Metaxas is now available on CD. Simply call 1-800-652-1144 to order your copy. That's 1-800-652-1144. Can it really be God's will that His children be silent at a time like this? The brand new book entitled Letter to the American Church by Eric Metaxas says no, silence is not an option. God calls us to defend the unborn, to confront the lies of cultural Marxism, and to battle the globalist tyranny that crushes human freedom. Confident that this is his fight, the church must overcome fear and enter the fray, armed with the spiritual weapons of prayer, self-sacrifice, and love. Decrying the cowardice that masquerades as godly meekness, Eric Metaxas summons the church to battle in his brand new book, Letter to the American Church. Letter to the American Church is available right now. Call 
1-800-652-1144. That's 1-800-652-1144. Or simply visit our website, swrc.com. Greg Patton is ready to share another story of encouragement and inspiration from living in today's world. You know, God has revealed the secret of personal fulfillment and success in life better than anyone else, but most of us miss it. In our materialistic society today, we are trained to grab all we can and look out for being number one. Our noble concept of the rugged individualist and the self-made man miss a very critical truth. Even in the church, we tend to focus on leadership there. Sure we do. Being true to ourselves and finding our ministry. Instead of simply calling someone a servant, I'm, I'm a servant of God, we feel compelled to use a phrase like, I'm a servant leader. History and scripture stand against this wave of self-satisfaction. Am I correct on that? Samuel stated his posture in God's calling by replying, Speak, Lord, for your servant. Get it? For your servant is listening. 1 Samuel 3, verse 9 and 10. 19th century preacher and one of my favorites, Charles Haddon Spurgeon, urges us to serve all your life. And today, John Maxwell said the first step to leadership is servanthood. I know many pastors that have been considered, oh, highly successful in life, but boy, they can be personally defeated. All of us can. One pastor said, I was burned out. I was empty. I was miserable. From the outside, I appeared to be doing everything right. The church thought I was on top of it. I was preaching the gospel. I was fulfilling the Great Commission, building a ministry, Christian school. But on the inside, everything was messed up. I was out of fellowship with God, tormented by impure thoughts, and headed for destruction. Then just as David cried out from the pit, I begged the Lord to deliver me, and he did. Praise the Lord. He set my feet on a firm foundation of his truth, and in this process, I've come to understand the significance of Jesus Christ's statement that the servant is greatest of all there in Matthew twenty-three eleven, Ministry must be centered around a purpose, not a personality. Hey, you need to grab that concept. You'll begin to look at people that you can help. If a marriage is faltering, you should want to jump in there and help discover the love of Jesus Christ and how you can help. If a pastor struggles with sin, we should want to help him overcome that. If a child needs food or water, we want to meet the need. In serving others, you develop new relationships with people. Man needs to find out that he becomes lesser, and when he does, oh, then he becomes greater in the eyes of God because God will get the greatest glory. Yeah, we need to humble ourselves to serve other people. Matthew twenty-five forty. Whatever you did for the least of these brothers of mine, you did for me, Jesus said. Jesus gave his life for these people. We need to begin to give our life to people. In return, he begins to fill us with an abundant life. And who listening to this program doesn't want an abundant life? Truly, that's what we're looking for. By losing my life for his sake, I can find life again by becoming his servant to helpless people throughout the world. And right in your community, you'll find a personal and professional fulfillment and success in life. Yes, we live in a materialistic society. It's easy to put our needs above the needs of others. Yeah, me first. But Jesus always 
put others before himself, and he expects us to follow that example, does he not? Interesting stuff here from James Robinson. He said, he met a missionary named Peter Pretorius on a trip to South Africa, and his testimony had a transforming effect on Robinson's life. He told of his success as a prestigious tobacco farmer and a race car driver who lived totally for himself. That was before he decided to share God's message with people in neighboring Mozambique. When he traveled there to arrange a series of evangelistic meetings, his drivers failed to return for him at the appointed time, and what was going to be a two-day trip, 48 hours, lasted a week. During his unexpected stay, Peter saw unimaginable suffering. People were literally dying at his feet. Every day, another 20, 25 malnourished adults and children were buried. He witnessed it all. Wouldn't that be something? Peter helped an elderly man find a resting place against a tree and went to get some water. He cried when he came back and discovered the man was dead. Returning home to South Africa, Peter asked friends and neighbors to help buy food for these people. He rented a truck to transport provisions to Mozambique, and so began his first extensive feeding program. At his invitation, Robinson said he and his wife went to witness the operation and saw some of the most unbelievable scenes they'd ever encountered. Little ones covered in dirt, wearing stained clothing, worn in shreds. They looked at us shyly. Many exhibited the dangers of malnutrition, bloated tummies, patches of orange discoloration in the hair, open sores on the legs. Their smiles drew our eyes from their rags to the anticipation that was on their faces. Once we initiated personal contact, many soon wanted to hold hands and embrace us. Some hugs. Thousands of children lined the road as our team set up to feed them vitamin-rich meals, the consistency of oatmeal. They were so very happy to get a basic need. Upon returning home, Robinson and his wife knew that God wanted them to be involved in the project, to give their own finances and inspire others to support these missionaries, to ones that lay down their lives every day. You know, the scriptures place the primary focus on the joy of giving in life, not on the return that you get. Acts twenty thirty five, Jesus offers us the supreme example of what it means to give, right? He gave his life for us, knowing there was nothing that we could give him in return. It's an honor that our Creator allows us today to express his nature as we serve others, or should be. He owes us nothing for our obedience. We owe God everything for Christ's obedience in his death and resurrected life. While Jesus did state that he came to give us life more abundantly, many people mistakenly believe that Jesus came to give us abundance in life instead of abundance of life. There's a big difference. God's not opposed to you having things, but he's deeply concerned that things do not have us. Remember, God's rewards far exceed the value of anything earthly or anything temporal. He may give us the means to afford a new car. Maybe you have a nice home, but he's most interested in giving us a new spirit and an eternal home. And he's also interested in blessing us so we can, in turn, bless other people. And that would be real success in your Christian life, my friend. Eric Metaxas's brand new book, Letter to the American Church, is in the resource spotlight today. Decrying the cowardice that masquerades as godly meekness, Eric Metaxas summons the church to battle in his brand new book, Letter to the American Church. 
Letter to the American Church is available today. Simply call toll-free 1-800-652-1144. Lord willing, we'll be back here Monday, ready to once again bring clarity to the chaos. Don't miss a moment of Watchmen on the Wall. Download our SWRC mobile app or subscribe to our daily Watchmen on the Wall podcast. Head into the weekend with the encouragement that God is still on the throne and prayer changes things. Watchmen on the Wall is a production of Southwest Radio Ministries and is supported by faithful listeners like you. Visit swrc.com.